0: Thank you so much for joining us for Ankeny Gospel Church Podcast. On this podcast, you can find sermons, classes, and other resources that continue to invite us into the mission of Jesus and the journey of faith. We hope this is a blessing to you, and if we can help you in any way, feel free to reach out. Hello, my name is Leanne, and today's teaching comes from Philippians 2, verses 12 through 18. Therefore, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but even more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is working in you both to will and to work according to his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling and arguing, so that you may be blameless and pure, children of God who are faultless in a crooked and perverted generation, among whom you shine like stars in the world. By holding firm to the word of life, Then I can boast in the day of Christ that I didn't run or labor for nothing, but even if I am poured out as a drink offering on the sacrificial service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. In the same way, you should also be glad and rejoice with me. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated.
1: Let's exchange greetings this morning. Good morning. morning. How is everybody? Okay, great. Awesome. Um, This week I was reminded of a verse in 2 Chronicles. uh, And it's 2 Chronicles 16.9. When was the last time you heard a verse quoted from 2 Chronicles? It'll be on the screen. It says this, The eyes of the Lord roam throughout the earth to show himself strong for those who are wholeheartedly devoted to him. I was just reminded of this verse, and I, I love this verse, because it, 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 it says that the eyes of the Lord are searching, searching f- to show himself strong. God wants to show himself strong. God wants to show himself glorious, to show himself mighty, to show himself loving, to show himself as salvation. And he's looking for those who are wholeheartedly devoted to him. I prayed this for myself this week, that I would be wholeheartedly devoted to him, and I prayed this for AGC this week, that we as a people would be wholeheartedly devoted to him, so that God, the Lord's eyes stop, and he can show himself strong through us. This also ties into Philippians a little bit, because uh, we've been talking about the way up is down, and Christ shows his strength in and through us when we actually are weak, When we actually put the needs of others above the needs of ourselves. Last week we explored one of the most popular texts in the entire New Testament and maybe the entire Bible. And we summed it up as Jesus is Lord. We looked at Isaiah, right? We looked at the gospel according to Isaiah where Yahweh is on the throne and Yahweh saves. And what the text last week did... What Paul did with the text last week is he elevated Jesus to that, that because of his self-emptying, self-humbling obedience to the Father, he was now exalted and given that name. So now Jesus is on the throne, and Jesus saves. The way up is down. Jesus descended. He had a downward mobility in obedience to the cross, and because of that, God exalted him. We've seen this U-shaped pattern in other parts of Philippians too. Uh, in, in chapter 1, by way of summary, I'm going to summarize a little bit of what we've been talking about in Philippians, then we're going to talk at the text for today, and then we're going to look at where we're going in Philippians as well. Uh, the, chapter 1 in Philippians, Paul shows this downward mobility and this U-shaped pattern that the way up is down in two different ways. First, uh, if you remember, Paul starts this letter, and he's giving thanks to the Philippians. He's thanking God every time he remembers them. And then he says that, it's interesting, he says that he's in prison, and it's actually a good thing. And it, it's in his chains that the gospel is the most free. That's upside down. That doesn't make any sense. It's in his imprisonment that the gospel is free, and it's creating other people to be free as well, free in Christ. Additionally, he says that, you know, there's a lot of people who are preaching Christ out of envy. They're preaching Christ out of rivalry. They're trying to make Paul, like, look bad. And he says, I don't don't care. No matter what, I'm going to rejoice because the gospel is going forth. He also puts the needs of others above the needs of himself, because if you remember at the end of Philippians 1, he talks about to live as Christ, to die as gain, uh, that famous verse, and then he, he has this like internal battle, like I don't know which one I'm going to choose, because obviously dying would be amazing, because I get to die and depart and be with Christ, but he says that I know that remaining alive is more necessary for you. So in that moment, Paul wants to depart and be with Christ, right, right? But instead, he chooses to put the needs of the Philippians above the needs of himself. And he's like, I'm actually gonna, I'm gonna defend myself in trial and I'm gonna remain alive and I'm gonna come back to you so that your faith may abound. That's the needs of others. That's self-emptying. That's self-humbling. Then in chapter two, a few weeks ago, um, Tom preached the first couple verses of chapter two and basically said, if you have ever experienced Christ in any way, if you've ever had any actual relationship with the divine life, Jesus himself, with the word of life, with the spirit of the living God, then you will put the needs of others above the needs of yourself. You will do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but you will what in humility consider others as better and more important than yourselves, we shouldn't look to our own interests but rather to the interests of others. And then last week, of course, we saw the Christ hymn the Christ hymn, the Christ poem in Philippians 2 5 through 11. That the entire book of Philippians uh, is surrounded surrounds that poem. Everything, if you like did a-, a deep dive study, you would see words in that poem that Paul uses in chapter one, he uses it in chapter three, he uses it in chapter four. Like everything Paul is saying centers around this, this poem from, that- from last week. There's this book that I was reading. Uh, In preparation for last week, I feel like I'm preaching last week's sermon again. I I promise I'll move on from this text, but it's just so good. Uh, There was this book I was reading in preparation for last week's sermon, and it was titled Where Christology Began. Christology is the study of Christ. Where Christology Began, as in, like, the foundation of the study of Christ. Like, if you want to know about Christ at all, you know, this is where you would go, and it was a collection of essays from all of these different scholars. And guess which text they said and they all talked about Philippians two five through eleven. All for years, scholars, pastors, theologians, churches, Christians have recognized this text in Philippians as the foundation for Christ Himself. You want to know the heart of Christ? Read this. You want to know the heart of God? Read this. You want your life to be such that people will look at you and see the glory of God and glorify your your Father who is in heaven? Read this. This is why um, we've been... We've been our small my small group memorized this. This is this passage. This is why the kids ministry is memorizing this passage. This is why we're encouraging you guys to memorize this passage. This is why we have it as the benediction verse every single week. If you've been like bored with the benediction verse, that's good and that's intentional. Because I don't know about you, but I I genuinely I want this passage to be in me. I want it to be in my bones. I want my first reaction in life to be contentment. Later in chapter four, Paul says that I've learned the secret to contentment. How? I want my first reaction in life to be self emptying and self humbling. How? I want my first reaction in life to be joy, to be peace, to be selflessness. And it seems that Paul has the same goal. Paul is doing it himself. And it seems that the way that Paul does that and the way that Paul encourages us to do that is by meditating on this, by looking to Christ. By having that salvation in Christ now. By having that eternal kind of living now. And last week we didn't, we didn't end with any application. It was just look to Jesus and live because I think that is enough application in and of itself. But this week Paul shifts and he's going to be tethering this out. So now, now that we have looked at Christ, which is not a one-time thing by the way. It is a lifelong thing. Now that we have looked to Christ and we will continue to look at Christ, what do our lives look like now? What does the church look like now? What do the, what what the outsiders who look at the church think? So we're going to dive into that text uh, here in a minute, but before we do, I'm going to pray. And if you're, if you're comfortable, I would love for you to just maybe, just if your hands on your laps, just open your palms face up just as a physical expression of an internal posture of being ready to receive from the Lord what he has for us. So, Father, we do ask that you would give us yourself. We ask in this moment that you would uh, give us this time and this space to reflect, to reflect on you and then to reflect your goodness and your love to others. I pray that as we look at what it means to work out our salvation with fear and with trembling, that, Holy Spirit, we would not do it without you. So Spirit, we ask you now in this moment to fill our minds with yourself. To fill our hearts with your glory. To fill ourselves with love. And ultimately, Lord, we we want to look like you. So Holy Spirit, I ask that you would give us power to live selflessly. You would give us power to live like Christ. That we would not just imitate or copy him as an example, but rather we would be filled with him. Lord, we want to be filled with you. Make us a people who are, who are sold out for you. Make us a people who are zealous for you. Make us a people who are not marked by anything other than a selfless, self-emptying, self-humbling love. Father, we love because you first love us. We thank you for this time, and we pray that you would unstop our ears, you would open our minds, you would open our hearts, that we might hear Think and believe in your great gospel. pray all this in your son's name. And all God's people said? Amen. Amen. Verse 12 of Philippians chapter 2 starts with the word, therefore. Now, a really good uh, Bible reading technique is that whenever you see the word therefore, you should ask, what is therefore? Therefore. Therefore. Why is therefore therefore, right? It's very simple, yet it's profound. Most profound things are very simple. So what Paul is saying here, and I'm not going to summarize again last week's text But what Paul is saying is that everything that is going to follow in verses 12 and onward are absolutely meaningless and absolutely pointless if they are not built upon the foundation of what came before. Everything that he says, we're we're going to get into some commands here. Work out your salvation, do everything without arguing and grumbling, and rejoice. Those are three commands that we're going to look in our text today. None of that matters if it's not built on Philippians 2, 5 through 11, if it's not built on Christ himself. That's what therefore means right? I don't know why he didn't just say that, but he just said therefore. Anyway, so therefore, he keeps going. Verse 12, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed. Paul loves these guys. Paul uses the title dear friends. Later in chapter four, he's going to say my crown, my joy, my beloved. It's like if you had to put Paul's letters, you have to like illustrate Paul's letters. It's like Philippians is like the golden child. They cannot do anything wrong. He said, now that you have always obeyed. Do you really think they always obeyed? No, because later he's going to call out two people who are not obeying. But he's just like, you can just tell this love that Paul has. It's like if Galatians would be like the redheaded stepchild who can't do anything right, and Philippians is like the golden child who's like, hey, this is, you guys are perfect, so just keep doing your thing. Therefore, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, as in Paul was with them years ago, and they were obeying, but even more in my absence, As in, now that I'm gone, you should obey even more. And then here's what he said. says, work out your salvation with fear and with trembling. Real quick before we get to that. The only other time the word obey is used in this letter is a little bit earlier, and it's of Christ. Christ obeyed to the point of death. Now Paul is calling the Philippians to not just obey because we're supposed to obey, but obey because we are actually following imitating and participating in christ's life himself of obedience he says work out your salvation with fear and trembling work out work out my salvation produce my salvation bring into existence my salvation you might hear that. You may say, though, no, the gospel is not about work. The gospel is not about work. I don't have to do any work. Jesus did all the work. I'm free in Christ. I don't have to work. I don't have to pray. I don't have to fast. I don't have to discipline my body. I don't have to Sabbath. I don't have to come to church. You know what we call that? We call that works righteousness. Works righteousness is bad. It is demonic. Some of Jesus's and Paul's most fierce words are at works Righteousness. And at people who held to works righteousness and made other people hold to works righteousness, but neither of them, Jesus or Paul or the New Testament, ever had the idea that because works righteousness is bad, therefore work is bad. You see, I I I know most of us in this room, and I know the traditions we come from, and the the pendulum swing from a, a few other traditions that you know we're Protestants. We Whenever we don't like something, we make our own church and our own denomination to do it. And the pendulum has swung so far that we have a, an allergic reaction to the word work in any context in Christianity. In our denomination, we have an un, I think we have an unhealthy aversion to the word work. And we don't, here's what I mean, we don't distinguish between works righteousness, which is bad. And that is, that is like trying to earn your salvation. We don't distinguish between works righteousness and between work in general, in between effort in general, in between training ourselves in general, in between disciplining ourselves in general and focusing and forming our habits. Dallas Willard has an illustration of this type of faith where when you don't distinguish the two, he calls it um, barcode faith, barcode faith. Now, uh, imagine you go into a grocery store and you have two items, right? You have a bag of dog food and you have a tub of ice cream. Back in the day, barcodes used to be like stickers, so I'm told, that you, like, you know, put on the actual item. <laughs> Did I just age myself a little bit? I'm so sorry. Well, now the barcode's like, you know, actually in the material of the plastic or container, whatever. Anyway, back in the day, it used to be the sticker itself was the barcode, right? Now, imagine you have your uh, dog food and your ice cream. You go to the checkout line, and you take the stickers, and you switch the stickers, and you put them on the opposite thing. So now the dog food has the ice cream sticker, and the ice cream has the dog food sticker. If you take the ice cream and you scan it, What will the screen show you? Dog food. Meaning, regardless of the contents of what is inside, that scanner registered that ice cream as dog food. Barcode faith is saying that regardless of the contents of what is inside, you can just slap that barcode sticker on there, you can scan it, and then you get to go on and be bought and paid for. Barcode faith says that uh, as long as you go to church, you get that barcode sticker and you're good to go. As long as you have this mental ascension to Jesus died on the cross from the dead and literally rose three days later, you get that barcode sticker slapped on you and you get to go. As long as you remember a moment or two in your conversion story, that you can use and you can talk about, you get that barcode sticker and you get to go. As long as you sound convincing enough, you get that barcode sticker and you get to go. No matter then, no matter what you do, no matter the contents of your heart, no matter what your life looks like, no matter if you don't bear fruit, when you die, God's gonna put his barcode sticker on you and you're gonna go to the good place instead of the bad place. And life now has no connection with being a Christian. Christianity only comes into effect when you die. How Far from New Testament Christianity that is. How foreign is that type of faith to the scriptures themselves? There are many things wrong with this type of barcode faith, where regardless of the contents of our life, we can just say a prayer and go to heaven. The first problem is that if we have this idea of a barcode faith, then we don't have to work at all. It doesn't matter the contents of my heart, my life, my sins, my anything. I've got the barcode. I said the thing that I needed to say, so I'm all set. The result is that our discipleship becomes stuck. Your discipleship will not grow at all. The result is that our faith life will be reduced to sin management. Do you feel that sometimes? My life is, my Christian walk is just reduced to sin management. I go throughout my week, I try not to sin, I try not to sin, I try not to sin. Oh, I sinned, I messed up. Well, good thing I don't have to do anything because Jesus did everything, so now I'm just going to try not to sin, try not to sin. Oh, I sinned again, well, good thing we're going to go to church so then I can ask forgiveness and maybe talk about how my life's good and then try not to sin. Our life, our faith life is reduced to that. Is that really the kind of life that Jesus has called us to? The result is that you can actually be a Christian without following Jesus. That is exactly the opposite of what Paul says here, and exactly what the opposite of what Jesus himself says in the Gospels. The second problem with this is that if we believe in this barcode faith, that you know, we think that the Gospel is just, I ask Jesus into my heart, then it has no effect on my life until I die. It makes salvation both a past event and a future event, but has no effect on my life right now. If we, if we buy that, then salvation is a past event and a future event, but it is not present. Okay, here's what I mean by that. If we, if we say that uh, we're going to, you know, it doesn't matter anything that happens at all right now, you know, we've got that barcode sticker and we're going to get scan and we're going to, that means that salvation is a past event. And we say this a lot. When were you saved? When were you saved? When were you saved? Salvation was then when you uh, had a moment of conversion. Now hear me. That's true. There there is a moment in life where you go from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, and it is a beautiful new life that we have in Christ. But it's kind of limited to there, and then salvation is a future thing, that salvation and grace and eternity only start when we die. Guys, salvation, clearly, Paul says work out your own salvation. It's not work it out like when you became a Christian, and it's not like work it out when you die and go to heaven. It's work out your salvation now. Now which means that salvation, in a sense, is present. Paul talks about being freed from the slavery of sin. That was a past event, that is a future event, but it is also a present reality. Salvation is present. It's not salvation is not just transactional. It is transactional, but it's not just transactional. It's actually transformational, where we are being renewed from the inside out daily. Where we are being conformed into the image of Jesus Himself every single day. God has given us salvation now, where we are free from sin now and not yet. Right. This is why the, this is the tension that we're in right now. And salvation is now. Freedom is now. Eternity is now. Paul says, "Work out your own salvation." with fear, and with trembling. Famously, Dallas Willard says that God is not opposed to our effort, but he is opposed to our earning. Sometimes we say God is opposed to both of those things. Also, he says, work out your own salvation. This is uh, another good Bible reading technique. We don't have a distinction in English between singular and plural, well, if you're from the South, you say y'all, but I don't say that because I'm not from the South and I don't like the word. But we have, you know, you and y'all. Uh, and uh, all, all commands in the New Testament, every single one of them is plural. As in, Paul is not saying, hey, you know, you over here, you go work out your salvation with fear and trembling individually. And then you over here, you go work out your own salvation over here individually. And then, you know, maybe when we come together, we can talk about it a little bit. No, 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 he's saying, hey, y'all, Work out your salvation as a church community. You are the redeemed body of Christ. So Paul is saying to the church in Philippi, the entire church, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So, what, is we, what do we say today? What can we say today? Members of AGC, if you're a member here, if you're committed to this body, work out. We, we are told to work out our own salvation, our corporate salvation with fear and trembling. We must work on our salvation, we must be unified. We must watch how we talk. We're going to see later how we talk to and about one another. We must put the needs of others above the needs of ourselves. That's how we work out our own corporate salvation with fear and trembling. You can't be a Christian in isolation. You can't work out your salvation individually, exclusively individually. It's individual and it's communal. It's for us together. Now, I bet some of you are thinking, well, yeah, but verse 13 says God's the one working in you. We're going to get there in a second. But we need to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. That phrase, fear and trembling, is always used in the Old Testament when uh, overwhelmed at the presence of God. People respond in fear and trembling. It's used also of the shepherds when they, they saw the angels and they responded with fear and trembling. I think of Isaiah 6 when he looked at the throne room of God. He saw just the, cl- the end of the cloak of God's robe filled the temple and there was smoke and he says, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. That's fear, that's trembling. And then the love of God came to him, purified him, and then he went forth and he proclaimed Yahweh's greatness to the nations. Now, verse 13. For it is God who is working in you. Mm. It is God who is working in you, both to will and to work according to his good purpose. St. Augustine, who's a 4th century African scholar, um, has this quote, and it'll be on the screen as well. And I love this. He says, without God, we cannot. Without us, God will not. Without God, we cannot. There is no denying that. Man's efforts are filthy. The most righteous things that man can bring to the table are filthy rags. Without God, we cannot. Yet, without us, God will not. As in, if we stop up our ears, if we harden our hearts, if we say, let go and let God, he's not gonna move in us. You can't drift into discipleship and you can't like, glide into godliness. You are either growing or you are not. Now, this is a, this is a both- uh, wait, both and, yeah, yeah, this is a both and reality, not an either or reality, right? We really like either ors. Well, either it's this or it's this. I know in my own heart and my own life, I go back and forth between either and or. Now, uh, it's, it's either, you know, without God we cannot or it's without us and God will not. But that's not, that's not what this is saying and that's not what verse 12 and 13 is saying. So if we treat verse 12 and 13 like an either or, either it's verse 12 and I have to work it out work out my salvation with fear and trembling on my own, or it's verse 13, and God has to work it out, and I don't have to do anything. If we treat that like an either-or, here's what we get. There's gonna be a chart on the screen here. If we treat that with either-or, then verse 12, if we only have verse 12, if we only have verse 12, work out your salvation, do, 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 do. What is that? Legalism, period. That is earning our way to heaven. But if we only have verse 13, Well, God's the one working in you. What do we get? Laziness. You're not going to do anything. If we have verse 12, next slide, uh, we would also get without God and without us. This is that Augustine quote. Verse 12 is without God, right? I'm going to do it all myself. I'm going to do everything on my own. Verse 13 is without us. Well, you know, I don't have to do anything because God's going to do it all. Next slide, verse 12. If we do that, then we get the command, work out And for you need to do it, the emphasis is on you. And if you only get verse 13, then the the emphasis is on only God, right? Next slide. If we get verse 12 exclusively, then it turns into imitation. You guys ever played Simon Says before? Simon Says, nice. Simon Says, you know, uh, (laughs) I'm not gonna play a group game of Simon Says. I realize that this sounded like, (laughs) Simon Says, stand up. No, don't do that, don't do that. Um, uh, Where is it? Imitation. When you play Simon Says, The person who is the Simon Sayer is the one who is doing the thing and then you're supposed to imitate them. As in, they're just a model, and exemplar, and you just really try to be like them, okay? It might be copying, it might be this. If we only have verse 12 and we only have imitation, then what are we gonna do? We're gonna take the things that we know to be true about Christians in general and we're just gonna try to do those things. We're gonna try to imitate, you know, praying a little bit. We're gonna try to imitate going to church. We're gonna try to imitate have good morals. But if we have verse 13 exclusively, then all we have is resignation, right? I don't have to do anything. I'm just going to resign. God's got me. Like, we're good to go. And then ultimately we have that barcode faith. What Paul wants, the reason that there's verse 12 and verse 13 is because Paul wants both. He doesn't want you to say, ah, I'm so burdened. I have all these things to do. And he also doesn't want you to say, oh, I'm free in Christ. I don't have to do anything at all. He doesn't want legalism or laziness. He wants reckless abandon. He doesn't want trying really hard, but he does want training really hard. He doesn't want our earning, but he does want our effort. He doesn't want us to resign, and he doesn't want God to resign. He doesn't want imitation or resignation. What he wants is participation. Think about the difference between imitation and participation. Imitation is just you see it, and you try to do it yourself participation is somebody coming alongside you in this case coming 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 inside you the holy spirit himself coming inside you and saying we together are going to work out our salvation with fear and trembling you can't do it on your own and god can't do it without you what's the number one way that god works throughout history is through people in our hearts in our minds god wants participation with him God wants wants us to work together, to discipline ourselves, to devote ourselves to prayer through his power, to set aside time to memorize the scripture, to fast together as a church in order to starve the body and feed the flesh, to put the needs of others, this is Philippians, above the needs of ourselves. And ultimately, Paul wants us to follow a downward mobility (coughs) in self-emptying, self-humbling love for the praise of Jesus to the glory of the Father. Paul wants us to be filled with the Spirit and enter into a downward mobility of self-emptying, self-humbling love to the praise of Jesus and the glory of the Father. (coughs) Paul wants us to be filled with the Spirit of the living God and participate with his downward mobility of self-emptying, self-humbling love to the praise of Jesus and the glory of the Father. That's what God wants for his people. That's verse 12, that's verse 13. Now we're on to verse 14. Uh, Verse 14 is a great verse. Everybody loves it. I had to memorize this as a little kid when I would grumble and argue. My mom made me memorize it. So here we go. Do everything without grumbling and arguing. That's it. That's what it says. Do everything without grumbling and arguing. Easy enough, right? No, there's a a definite clear tie to this phrase grumbling and arguing with the wilderness generation in the Old Testament. If you remember, the people of Israel were uh, freed from the slavery of Egypt. They're in the wilderness. And then the three days after they walked through the Red Sea, what did they start doing? Grumbling and arguing. And because of that, Hebrews says that they were not able to enter the promised land. This one uh, is for sure one of the scriptural commands I love to justify, and I think we love to justify. I call it the "yeah but" technique. Yeah, but I, you know, I'm just kind of processing my thoughts, so that's kind of. It might sound like grumbling, but well, well, yeah, but you wouldn't understand my situation. My parents are like really just kind of getting under my skin, or my kids are really getting under my skin, and so I just have to like talk about it. Do everything without grumbling. Yeah, but my job situation is very, very stressful, and I don't know how I'm going to get through it, and I just, have to, I just have to vent. And it's just really annoying. Do everything without grumbling. Anybody who has been in any friendship or relationship or circumstance in life, basically, you've been, if you've been alive, you have experienced times where you want to grumble. And what does Paul say here? Do everything without grumbling and arguing. If that feels impossible to you, it is without God. But we don't work out our salvation on our own. Who is working in us? God. Which means this is possible for you. This command is possible to keep. Do you believe that? To do everything without grumbling and arguing. Arguing. Well, yeah, but that's just my personality and I like to argue about things. Do everything without arguing. Well, yeah, but this person is wrong. I just like I just have to let them know that they're you know wrong. Like I just I don't want them to keep thinking that they're right, but really they're wrong. So I'm just going to argue, and they push back, so I push back. Do everything without arguing. Well, yeah, but I wanted to be helpful to this person in this situation, and when they pushed back to me, I just really had to to state my own case. Do everything without arguing. Yeah, but if you knew my family, you just know that that's just how we talk to each other do everything without arguing. Yeah, but they just needed to know where I was coming from. And also, if I don't argue my case, aren't people just going to walk all over me? Yes. They will. And that's okay. Because what happened to Christ when he was led to the cross? He was silent. His self-emptying, self-humbling love in obedience to the Father that led him to the cross, made him silent. He did not grumble or argue. And the consequences of him not arguing are far greater than the consequences of you and I not arguing. Do everything without grumbling and arguing. Verse 15, why? Why should I do this? So that you may be blameless and pure. You may be children of God who are faultless in a crooked and perverted generation, among whom you shine like stars in the world. You know what the result of not arguing and not grumbling is? The result is that you're pure when the world is not. You're blameless when the world is not. You're children of God when the world is not. And it will mark you, it will mark us, sorry, it will mark AGC so differently that we will literally shine against a black backdrop. And everybody will, everybody looks at stars. Everybody sees stars, right? Yes, that's right. Uh, everybody sees stars. Sorry, I just answered my own question. Everybody sees stars. And so everybody will see that when we don't argue and when we don't grumble and when we work out our salvation and we have this self emptying self-humbling love, they will be able to see and recognize it. And how do we do that again? By verse, verse 16, by holding firm to the word of life. By holding firm to the word of life. I love that picture of Jesus, the word of life. Of life, You know what that's a reference to? Genesis 1. What was the first thing God did? God spoke. John 1. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. He was in the beginning. We hold fast to the word of life. Holding firm to the word of life. That requires what? Effort. Holding firm to something requires effort. It requires working out. Later Paul's going to say, I hold firm to this. I hold firm to Jesus because Jesus actually holds on to me. It's this reciprocal participatory relationship where when we work out our salvation with fear and trembling, when we don't grumble and argue, then God is actually the one working in us. Without God, we cannot. Without us, he will not. Then the end of verse 16 through 18, Paul kind of gives a little, uh, a little update here. And I think this is really cool too. There is, if, if the Philippian church works out their own salvation and recognizes that God works in them and does everything without grumbling and arguing, they will, then be, they will then shine like stars in the world, and then this is what Paul says, then I can boast, I can boast in the day of Christ, as in when Christ returns, that I didn't run or labor for nothing. Verse 17, but even, even if I am poured out as a drink offering on the sacrificial service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all this is a um, sacrificial metaphor right a lot of times in sacrifices the there would be an animal that would be like the main sacrifice whether to sacrifice to forgive sins a peace offering a thanksgiving offering there would be an animal and then sometimes there would be a drink offering called a libation and it would be poured out on that It wasn't necessary but it was like extra if you wanted right so what would happen is the, the main sacrifice would be given and then this little drink offering would be poured out as like an extra thing if they wanted to. What is Paul saying right here? He is saying that he's that little bit of extra, I just think this is so humble. He's that little bit of extra sacrifice on top. This is at near the end of Paul's life, which means he has sacrificed greatly. He has been imprisoned multiple times. He has been uh, beat multiple times. He has tried to escape near-death situations multiple times. And he's like, you guys are the real true sacrifice. I'm I'm just this little thing at the top that's being poured out. Who else poured himself out? Christ. Poured himself out by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And Paul's not saying this to grumble or to argue. Paul is saying this to rejoice. I am glad and I rejoice with you all, verse 18. In the same way, Philippians, y'all should be glad and rejoice with me. Everybody together should be glad and rejoice with him. Why? Because the pattern of Christ, the life of Christ, the very heart of God, is one who does not try to take things for his own advantage, but empties himself. And humbles himself. So no matter what our situation in life, no matter what our circumstances that cause other people to grumble and argue, we actually do the exact opposite. We are glad and we rejoice. The way up is down. This is an upside down way of living because we are in an upside down world following a king who instead of was enthroned and high and lifted up on a throne, he was high and lifted up on a cross and we worship that king. Now, I'm not sure where each of you are in hearing this, right? This is a, this is a lot, at least it could be, it, it was to me. And maybe you're thinking about that chart of the verse 12 and verse 13. Maybe you're thinking about the barcode faith and you're feeling convicted and you're like, I need to, I, I, I do that sometimes, I believe that sometimes. Maybe you fall into one of those two spectrums. I think the application here that Paul says is repent and rejoice. Repent and rejoice, Maybe you're, you're functionally thinking that salvation is a past event and a future event, but it has nothing to do with me now, and so Christianity is just something that will come into effect later. Repent and rejoice. Maybe you've been justifying your grumbling and arguing, and that verse hit you between the eyes. Repent and rejoice. And so for the next little bit, what I want to do is oftentimes we don't have enough space in, or like time to actually sit and repent, we're going, 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 and even a church service sometimes it can really feel really fast-paced. This and then this and this. So what I want to do is I just want to offer us a minute or two, a minute or two of silence, where we do that, we repent and we rejoice. And so uh, for for a little bit now, um, I, I'll, I'll pray, and then after I pray, if you guys would just pray to yourselves, pray silently if you're comfortable. And just ask God to convict you. Ask the Spirit and the Word to convict you. Repent from those sins and then rejoice. Rejoice in the forgiveness of sins. Rejoice that God always meets us where we are and then brings us one more step. So after I'm done praying, we'll leave some time and space of silence for you to do that. And then after that, Tom will come up and lead us in communion.